Hello and welcome to the GM Cancer Podcast. I'm Steve Bland and this is the podcast that takes you inside cancer services in Greater Manchester. Uh, now this is actually the second episode that we've recorded for World Cancer Day. Uh, in the first episode I spoke to Professor Rob Bristow. Now Rob is the uh, director of the Manchester Cancer Research Centre. He's basically the guy that knows everything that there is to know about what's coming up in the world of cancer, uh, specifically in Greater Manchester, but also you know globally over the next 12 months. What should we get excited about? And if you haven't listened to that podcast already, I really urge you to. It's really inspirational. And Rob you know, gives us some really incredible things that are coming up, hopefully, in the next 12 months. In this episode... I'll be speaking to Lisa Galligan Dawson. Now, Lisa is the performance director for GM Cancer, and I'll be speaking to her about what's coming up in terms of patient pathways in Greater Manchester over the next 12 months. I'll also be speaking to Kirsty Rollinson Groves. Now, Kirsty is the program manager for Prehab for Cancer, and you'll remember I spoke to her in the first episode of this podcast. That was actually the second time that I've spoken to Kirsty professionally, but I've never really spoken to her personally. And she's got a story that I, I knew nothing about. So um, I'll be speaking to her about why working in cancer services and why the job that she does is so important to her. So that's worth listening to. Uh, but before that, let's get our first guest on, uh, Lisa Galligan Dawson, as I said, the Performance Director for GM Cancer. So Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Can we start by just getting you to explain a little bit about your job and you know what you do in, in Greater Manchester? Of course. So I joined Greater Manchester Cancer back in October 2019 as the performance director with a really clear remit around uh, making improvements to our cancer waiting times performance. In in actual fact, it's much more about transformation um, and it's much more around understanding the pathways that make up the cancer waiting times performance and delivering that transformation from a system wide perspective. And um, so, yeah, my role is very much looking at the entire pathways and what that means when we have our reported performance. So it's all about the kind of patient experience and, and what they, their kind of pathway for, uh, from yeah. diagnosis uh, right to treatment and beyond. And... Yeah, so, so when a patient gets referred in, um, all of those different milestones that they need to go through, um, so diagnostics, appointments, planning treatment, um, all the way through to getting their treatment and aftercare and monitoring uh, how quickly we are able to do that for patients um, and, and give the best that we can do to, to those pathways and to reduce uh, the time patients have to wait. Those pathways, I guess, have probably been one of the most affected areas in, in the last couple of years with uh, the pandemic, you know, the way that patients and, and, and I guess the time it takes patients to go through the pathway as well. How have you seen, you know, what you do in the areas that you look at um, affected and, and kind of what are the biggest sort of challenges that you've had to overcome? The pathways have undoubtedly been affected. And I think more than ever in the first wave, you know, it was completely new to all of us. Nobody knew what we were expecting. Nobody knew really how to manage it. Um, but I guess in two parts, really, there were some patients that were absolutely terrified of coming forward and having um, their tests and their investigations. And equally, there were many instances where clinically the risk was higher from COVID than it was for having the, the tests. Um, but that doesn't make it any less concerning from a patient perspective. I have to say, though, that 
um, after the first wave, I think we were much more prepared and much more able to respond. Uh, there's been some fantastic scientific stuff done so we know what's safe and how to make things safe for patients, how to how to really make sure that the environment um, provides that safe experience for a patient. So much of the problem was earlier on in the pandemic. Um, but of course, with every wave that comes and every um, area that's, that's got a backlog, um, things take a while to recover. But has it also been an opportunity to sort of look at what you were doing, look at you know the way that the pandemic affected it? Has that given you a good perspective on some things that maybe needed changing or needed a, 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 a needed like streamlining or amending? Or has it has it sort of brought with it? Don't want to say some benefits, but have there been kind of good things that have come out of a really challenging period? There's absolutely been some good things that have come out of it. Um, I don't think we can underestimate. Um, some of those things in terms of how services will be delivered in the future so a lot more um, ability to deliver sort of virtual consultations um, you know for, for some patients that's an absolute um, godsend really um, and it's meant that rather than coming into hospital on their own um, they can have the appointment from home with their family members there so some of those things have been really good um, I think one of the other key areas has been the ability to work together as a system more. Um, so rather than it being about a problem in one location, it's a system. How do we respond to it? So there's been much greater collaboration. And I think it's given us um, maybe the opportunity to be more direct with how we'll make changes. Um, so rather than um, things taking a long time, uh, we've been able to expedite things and deliver them more quickly than we would have done without the pandemic, rightly or wrongly, that's the case. Yeah. Um, but I think some of that has been a real positive. Um, and I guess that, that when you've got challenges in pathways or in systems, sometimes you need to do more of the same. So we just need to put on more clinics, more you know clinical sessions. But sometimes doing more of the same just isn't what we need anymore. So it does give you a real opportunity um, to, while there is problems, to say, do you know what, we need to try something different. Um, and I think Greater Manchester um, and Greater Manchester Cancer have been really successful with that through the pandemic. Um, and, and so, yes, we have been able to um, look at how we can streamline and really interrogate how we can recover and what things we can change to make that better for patients. Um, so that's enough of looking back. Let's look forward now. Um, the next 12 months, you know, what are you working on? What's, you know, being worked on in, uh, within the region that's, you know, really exciting you and getting you out of bed in the morning? What's, you know, what's the exciting stuff that we can all look forward to? There's loads of things going on at the moment, Steve, and it, and it is actually a really exciting time. It has been really challenging. No one can take that away. Uh, but we've run, uh, actually over the last two years throughout the pandemic, we've been running a pilot on um, an initiative that we've called Single Q Diagnostics. Now, it's not for all diagnostic tests. We've concentrated on those that are specialist in nature that perhaps aren't delivered everywhere, um, but provide services across Greater Manchester. Uh, but at the minute, they've all worked independently. So um, if you're a patient in one organisation, you might sit in a queue along with patients from two other organisations to access some of that capacity. Um, other patients um, from other organisations will be sat in a separate queue somewhere else. And what we've actually been able to do is to bring together 
all of the capacity across Greater Manchester and all of the demand. So patients from anywhere in the city can access slots anywhere across Greater Manchester. And that might not sound revolutionary um, to many, but actually it's a completely different way of working in the NHS, bringing things together. And actually what it's, what it's, what it's shown us in the pilot is that we can deliver more choice for patients and give them more control of their pathways. What we can also do is by, by these kind of initiatives, almost map out the pathway so we know that we can get the patient to the next MDT, which is a really crucial milestone for patients. At the same time, better utilising the capacity we've got, providing resilience, and, and probably most importantly, reducing the waiting time for patients because of all of those improvements. Um, we did quite a lot of patient experience within the pilot. And what we found was that the very key thing for all patients was the earliest possible access to the diagnostic test. And even if that meant waiting longer for the reporting or for the MDT, the anxiety of waiting for an invasive test was um, overwhelming for people. So actually, this gives us an opportunity to take some of that anxiety away for patients. Of course, there'll be some that don't want to travel. There'll be some patients we need to support to be able to travel so that we've got a real good approach to health inequalities within this. Um, but actually, that pilot has given us um, a flavour of what we can deliver. And that's going to be one of our really key pieces of work for this next year. Um, so looking how we can expand the areas that we've piloted already and then how we can expand that to include different diagnostics. The world really feels like our oyster with this. It could even benefit beyond cancer. But that's a really that's the first really exciting opportunity, I think. So just let me just understand. So if you're if you're awaiting an appointment in Oldham and and it's a really busy area and then there's a bit more capacity somewhere else, you'll be in the same queue effectively as as everyone else in Greater Manchester. And even if you have to travel you know, a few miles for your appointment, you'll be seen in, in the order rather than rather than it being based on the area. Yeah, That's exactly right. that. Um, but with patient choice included, because some patients right, yeah. will choose to wait um, or to go to the hospital that they prefer. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, but this is about enabling that choice. Um, and reducing the variation that we do see um, and not through um, anyone's fault but you know some of these are, are small specialist services so somebody that's off sick or something like that can really impact the waiting times and make them change so this helps even it out because patients can then access other appointments um, and it gives patients the choice so it's a really important initiative for us I think for the next year. Sounds fantastic because I think that's that's often I mean, it is often one of the gripes that you hear, not just within Greater Manchester, but kind of geographically uh, uh, more broadly, isn't it? That yeah, there's so much difference between different areas. Um, what else have we got coming up? You know, a couple more things that maybe you can highlight. Yeah, so we've we've been working on um, delivering a lung treatment clinic, um, kind of. I suppose it's more than a clinic, to be honest. It's more like a day. Um, and and it's, it's about the patients who have um, complex lung cancers where um, decisions on treatments um, are, are hard because of um, the patients, either the location of the cancer, the types of treatments available or underlying health conditions. 
And, and one of the key things that we've identified is that some of those patients have to go to many appointments to get to the point where treatment can be delivered. Um, so that might include seeing an oncologist. It might include um, sort of further diagnostics. It might include seeing a surgeon and then seeing an anaesthetist. And quite often they're in different locations on different days and can be spread out over a number of weeks. And, and this initiative actually brings the patient and their close relatives together for one day um, with a clinical team. And so um, a small number of patients and their relatives would arrive in the morning. Um, there'll be some clinical assessments of those patients, some of which they'll video and use in an MDT later in the morning. Um, there'll be videos and information shared about what different treatment types are and, and to give patients some, um, some really quite detailed knowledge with a set of clinicians around to support. Um, and there'll be oncologists, physicians, surgeons, anaesthetists, specialist nurses, um, and then some wider support areas, so speech and language teams, um, the hospice from a pastoral perspective, um, and everybody will be together on that one day, including, uh, you know, where appropriate, a geriatrician uh, that specialises on, in oncology, to look at the patient in a holistic way um, and to decide on that one day through those multiple engagements with the different clinical teams, what treatment's best for the patient. So we think for some patients, this can take two weeks out of their pathway um, waiting for treatment, which feels absolutely pivotal when we know the speed in which you know, lung cancer develops. So that's one of the initiatives. We've been working on the last few months and that will hopefully go live in the very early part um, of the new financial year around April time. Um, so that's another one of those initiatives I'm really looking forward to seeing come into fruition. It's fantastic actually to see so much effort going into not just the treatment, but actually the experience of the patient because that's so important, isn't it? It really is. Um, I don't think we can underestimate the impact um, that waiting times have for patients. It is so easy to forget, you know, the impact that that has on, on families um, and individuals. And I think anything we can do to improve that experience and, you know, not just the, the time to get a decision, but not having to go to multiple appointments and having all of those clinical teams there um, at the at the same time is a, a really important aspect I think for patients. We've talked on this on this podcast about the gallery trial we've talked about about uh, the importance of early diagnosis and and is lots of the tinkering with the pathways about you know getting patients diagnosed as early as possible and also looking at the gallery trial do we know you know how that's going? Yeah early diagnosis is absolutely crucial for patients um, and I think there's kind of two aspects of it. It's getting patients to present earlier, recognising symptoms that are um, different for them um, so that if there is something, we can get that diagnosed and treated as quickly as possible because the quicker we do that for many cancers, the better the likely outcome is for patients. So presenting early is really crucial. Um, but I think that some of the work that's going on, like gallery, is much around um, identifying cancers before there are symptoms. And that's so crucial. Um, that will really make a difference in terms of the stage of cancer. So how developed the cancer is when it's diagnosed um, and early stage cancers are much easier to treat 
um, and much um, you know better outcomes for patients. So the gallery trials really exciting. Uh, we're coming to the end of, of the first year, uh, moving into the second year, and and because it's a, a trial, uh, we can't say too much about it. Other than there looks to be some really exciting findings, and we're really looking forward to getting into the second year because this could be something that's that's really groundbreaking for patients, being able to identify cancers. Uh, well before patients have, you know, developed any symptoms. So that's really crucial. Um, and going back to your first point, you know, that that presenting early, um, we have a number of, of things around vague symptom pathways. So vague symptoms being something's just not right. Um, so can't necessarily say, do you know what, um, everything that you, you're saying here is bound or it's a, you know, it's probably a lung cancer or it's probably a ovarian cancer but where people have got vague but concerning symptoms so you know something that's not right um, and has been like that for, for longer than three weeks and so there's a lot of work going on about how we are, how we manage these patients um, because being referred into one tumor type and them excluding for example an ovarian cancer sometimes then leads to but I think there might be something wrong here. And so it might get, you know, the patient might be referred on to the colorectal team. Um, and all of that can take time. And so we, we are looking at how we manage vague symptoms. So those patients that, um, you know, don't fit a typical tumor site. Um, so we've done a lot of work around that through our rapid diagnostic center program of work. Um, and in actual fact, we've expanded that very recently um, to look at referrals that do come into a tumour site um, that's specific, so would normally go to the colorectal team. And looking at that in a more holistic view, so looking at all of the different symptoms and applying that kind of vague symptom approach to it. Uh, and what we've been able to identify is, you know, a number of patients that are referred on for example, a lower GI pathway, um, and something is wrong, but that patient's got a different type of cancer, a renal cell cancer, a lung cancer, which would have taken, you know, probably a good few weeks to diagnose, yet by day eight in their pathway, so eight days from seeing their GP about it, we know which type of cancer it is, and we can better manage those patients. So I guess that's the other side of it, that we're trying to look at how, when a patient does present, and if we can get people to come earlier and earlier, uh, then those, those symptoms are more vague. So that kind of approach really aligns to that whole thing of get to your GP if you think there's something not right. That vague, uh, the vague symptom stuff is really challenging though, isn't it? For so many reasons, it's challenging for the patient because there's a lot of stuff that they could very easily dismiss at home as being something else. And chances are it will be something else. There are so many different different symptoms, but also... Um, I guess, is it difficult to kind of map out, you know, some you know really structured pathways when so much of it is on on the judgment calls and actually really difficult judgment calls about how to treat, you know, what are really vague symptoms and actually could be any 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 different number of conditions. Yeah, and and I think that that's where all of this work from the Rapid Diagnostic Centre programme has really come into fruition because it is about um, looking at those patients not from a one specialty perspective, so not looking at it from a you've come through to a colorectal clinic and we're going to look at it from that perspective, but the patient coming with has the patient got any form of cancer 
or any other serious condition that's causing these these vague symptoms. And so the approach just becomes a completely different one. You know, you might look at different diagnostics or the same diagnostics, but in a different order. So it is tricky. You know, it takes and that's why I guess it's, you know, it's part of a, a rollout and an expansion for us because it is very different to how you manage patients. But actually, the benefits can't be you know, it really can't be underestimated for a patient. Um, you know, you don't want to go backwards and forwards to different tumour sites, um, you know, because we can't quite work out what's wrong. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a completely different approach, but one that's much more holistic and symptom-based rather than focused around a particular organ. Um, so lots and lots of, of great work going on um with that and and you know we've got some organizations in greater manchester that are really leading the way in in some of that work that's what we like to hear thank you so much lisa thank you very much for having me thank you so much lisa my second guest in this episode is kirsty rollinson groves now as i said at the start kirsty is the uh, the program manager for prehab for cancer she does absolutely amazing work with so many cancer patients but it's her own story that we're going to get into now and I've interviewed Kirsty twice before and I've never really spoken to her about what really drives her what motivates her to do the job that she does and it's her personal story so Kirsty thank you so much for joining me again you know we thought it'd be nice to get you back on just have a little catch up and there's uh, uh, I believe in the intervening weeks you've been you've been shaking hands with royalty <laughs> yeah um unbelievably so it seems um yeah we um so for the pre for cancer program um we got a royal visit from princess anne as she is a patron of the um, royal college of occupational health and uh project manager at the cancer board zoe <clears throat> um is an is an ot by, by background so we were selected for a royal visit, which was delayed uh, once uh, due to COVID. So it did happen in the interim between me doing the first podcast and this one. So yeah, it was very exciting. Wow, wow. <laughs> um, now, Kirsty, we've we've chatted on a couple of occasions, and I've interviewed you on on two different podcasts: on this one and mm-hmm. on on you, me, and the Big C, the BBC podcast that I do. Both times, interviewed you professionally. Now, I and I didn't actually know your own story with cancer and and the story about John until in the last episode of the podcast, I don't know if, any, if anyone will recall, we uh, we asked uh, people to send in their stories for why they do what they do, why working in cancer services is so important to them. And you sent a story in that kind of like stopped us all in our tracks a little bit. Just, I mean, me particularly, I know, I think some of the guys knew, you know, knew something of your, uh, your story, but I, I had no idea. So I wonder if, we could sort of start there you know with if you just sort of take us back a little bit tell us about John and tell mm-hmm. us how you know that and what happened to him has has inspired you to sort of do what you do uh, yeah so I I am a cancer widow I lost John to kidney cancer in 2016 um prior to that um we'd been together for quite a long time really um I met him when I was 17 we started dating when I was 20 um and then, yeah, so we were together for 10 years and then decided to get married on our 10th anniversary because we thought we were having a party anyway. So <laughs> make it efficient and, yeah. and do something else. Um, so, yeah, we got married on our what would be our 10th anniversary. Um, and 
I was I was working in cancer care for a year before before I got married. Um, I set up Can Move at Salford, which was a cancer rehab program. Um, so I'd been working with with cancer patients for a year. I was sort of believing that I understood cancer patients at that point, and yeah. I was I was good at my job, and I and I was and I was getting to know cancer patients. And then um, in the December of twenty, so we got married in June twenty fifteen. And in the December of 2015, John called me and said that he was at A and E because he was having some severe pain in his chest. Um, and that's when we got told that he wasn't having a heart attack. So woohoo, wait, go, go <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. But they, um, they suspected there was something more sinister going on, and then it was a tidal wave of tests and scans and things called nuclear medicine, which which sounded very cool to John because he's, he was a bit of a sci-fi geek. So um, nuclear medicine sounded really exciting to him. Um, and we discovered that it, he, he had kidney, well, he, he'd had kidney cancer for quite a while in the January um, and was told at that point that it was only ever going to be a management situation of which yeah. they were unsure how long that would go on for. Um, and it, it didn't go on for too long. Um, so we got we got to our first wedding anniversary. He was determined to get to his first wedding anniversary. Um, we had uh, major surgery first. We took out a kidney. Um, and then we went on to management chemotherapy. But kidney cancer doesn't, doesn't really respond well to, to chemo a lot of the times. And John's was super aggressive and came back within, within weeks, really. Um, and spread quite rapidly. So yeah, um, he passed away in the August of um, 2016. So we were married for 13 months, 14 months. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry. And, 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 and it's, it's so interesting. I guess like you can probably compare like how you looked at your job before that point and after the point, after that point, yeah, you're doing the same mm-hmm. job, but I imagine mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you tell me. I imagine your your whole outlook on on that work must have completely changed. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like they said, like I was doing the job for about a year before John's diagnosis, and I was believing that you know I understood what these patients yeah. had gone through to the point when, because at that point I was only doing rehab, so they'd done everything to, to before they'd seen me, and I was I'd had my training and I knew what operations they'd had and. I was starting to talk to them and, and understand lingo a bit better. Um, and I was totally on the, I, I totally get this group of people, um, but you really don't at all. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, to sit as a newly trained person to sit across from a cancer patient, that they are a force, they're, they're unbelievable. Um, the, their resilience is is boundless. And, and then to sort of, get to the point where you think you understand that and to why they're at that point and then actually to go through it is no you I I, I have no idea before yeah before my experience with John yeah I have no idea whatsoever I think I was I was the same with Rachel I, I think I'd have probably described myself as pretty resilient uh, mm-hmm. but you don't yeah you don't really understand what resilience is and I think this is why um I don't know if you find the same but I find it or I found it, uh, particularly in the sort of, you know, not too long after Rachel died, I found it a lot easier to talk to people who who did know what I was going 
going through, whether they had cancer themselves or whether they'd you know lost a partner themselves or whatever it might have been. And I can remember saying to someone you know really close to me who you know who wanted to be there and wanted to understand. I remember saying like, "You just don't understand." And to be quite honest, I don't want you to understand. Like, I don't want you to feel how this feels because it is it is such a unique a unique thing that I don't. Yeah, until you've you've either had cancer or or watched someone that you love have cancer, it's really difficult to understand even a even a fraction of what it feels like yeah definitely and i think that that talking to people i think it was it's exhausting in in the immediacy to talk to people who don't understand because you're forever having to find words to to describe what you're going through and that and that's exhausting but to to have somebody who's had a similar experience that you don't have to have to keep searching for those words and 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 trying to explain they just get it it's It's yeah, it's so much easier sometimes. In the email that you sent us uh, with your story, um, Mm -hmm. you talked about about going back to work, and you said, I mean, you can explain this better. But in the email, you said uh, losing John was the most difficult thing I'll ever face, but getting back to work was the easiest. Yeah, just explain why why that was. (laughs) I don't really know why it was so easy, but everybody who was close to me was telling me that it was going to be a bad idea. Um, I think I, I I heard you speak somewhere. I don't know where it was, but you said that I think it was your dad was telling you yeah, that yeah. With the you, me and big C podcast because it was too close. Well, he just told me, he just told me to get, I remember him saying, mm-hmm. get as far away from cancer as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get as far away from it. Don't do have anything to do with cancer. And I just remember saying, like, I don't think I can do that. Yeah, my, my my dad was the same. My dad said it. A lot of people close to me was like, you know, just you need to you need to just put put an end to it and just don't go near it because it's too much. But all I wanted to do was to get back and to support patients to to not so they didn't feel an ounce of what I felt, but so that they had somebody there who didn't have to say to them, "Look, I get it," because I never do. I never talk about John professionally with patients. Um, but they, on some level, I think that they felt that I just got it, um, and yeah. that's and that's what, what what I wanted to get back to it was it was so easy to get back and just be around my cancer patients and continue to support them and support them in a in a new way. Even though what I do didn't change, just the way I dealt with them and spoke to them and and supported them changed. Yeah, yeah. but it's also. Um... For me, anyway, when it comes to kind of doing stuff in cancer, it's also because I'm 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 desperate that you know there should be some good come out of of something so awful. It can't be just you know just a terrible thing and that's it and that's it and we're done with it. I I I I'm I'm desperate for there to be something good and and that's that's doing stuff in cancer and trying to help in some way. Yeah. Like and I mean, is it the the same with you and I guess I wonder you know looking back five years five and a bit years on how has it changed the way that you look at your work I think there's definitely that that um there needs to be there needs to be a good or a reason or you know you have to put you have to put in these new skills that you've learned they, they you know they are skills at the end of the day I think to go to go through a diagnosis with a loved one you do you do learn a lot and and I needed to turn such a horrible, dark 
episode into something that was actually going to be a lot of use for a lot of other people. And and that's why I think I, I needed to do it was because I needed to change the narrative. Like John was not a dark, horrible person. And even when he was poorly, he wasn't a dark person. He wasn't defined by his diagnosis. He never was. He was always a husband, a friend, a son. And so I needed to to sort of carry that on, if you like. Like yeah. I needed to, something good to be a bit. I just didn't want it to be a dark cancer diagnosis. So going back and helping people um, really helped with that. I think definitely. Do you mind me asking why you don't tell patients that you, you know, you have your own experience and your own, um, yeah, your own experience that you're sort of drawing from? Do you mind me asking why that's? It's, um, I, I choose not to do it because it's not about me um, and I yeah. don't want to make it about me. And I also think that sometimes if you, like if somebody's going through something and it's a bit like, oh, well, when I, it's, it's a bit like, <laughs> yeah. well. Well, this isn't I bad. Always, let me, t- let me yeah, tell you what's bad. <laughs> exactly. And I always think there's, there's, no com- there's no comparison or anything like that yeah. to any individual cancer story. Like, like I had a, a another friend of a friend who well I was friends with with um, a gentleman who had lung cancer and passed away and his wife and she said she said oh well compared to your story I was like well, there's, <laughs> there's no comparison here like you're, you're yeah. like it's it's your story and you you do what you want and you deal with it however you want I'll just try and try and you know be around I still don't think I understand the patient I understand the people around them more. Um, yeah. so when like we're really big on bringing friends and family and carers and and things to appointments or getting them involved in sessions so i can i can identify that person and, and support with them as well without without i think i can still do everything i need to do without making it known that i, I i'm a cancer yeah. as, as the hashtag goes <laughs> that comparison thing is such an interesting thing I, I don't know if you've had it, but the number of times that someone has started a story where they're going to whinge about something with, I know it's not as bad as what you've been through, but yeah, I know. And then they'll go I into something like, like losing a husband. I know it's not as bad as losing your wife, but yeah. uh, but, but you know the milk didn't arrive this morning, or, or like, yeah, <laughs> something like, really yeah. trivial. It's like, well, no, no, you're right. But then on the flip side, I always say to people, I don't, I, I don't want you to feel like you can't tell me stuff because it's not as bad. Yeah, you know, just because it's a really, it's a really difficult thing, but. The, um, I, I think that's yeah. a really important thing about like getting back to like normality if you like like mm. having like jokey conversations like that like and things it's it's my I've got a really good group of friends who are quite who have who have got back to just treat me like um just that, like I was um and and we do things like that like you know I know it's not as bad as losing your husband but hey we all can't get rid of those and stuff yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We, we have quite a good um, a little bit of dark humor never hurt anyone did it it's, exactly it's, yeah it's what you need to get get through it is interesting mm-hmm. that you talk about this you know the the perspective of the people around the patient and I imagine that's that's actually a really important thing isn't it in 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 and I think I've said to quite a lot of people since Rachel died that I do feel it's overlooked you're not um you're not by anyone's fault it's not a um deliberate thing and obviously that you know the focus of so much of it has always got to be on the patient uh, but the people around them are going th- uh, going through a terrible time as well and and often don't have any idea how to make it better or how to help or how to support best and I think they are often uh, not neglected that's the wrong word 
uh, but just not uh, perhaps supported as as much as they could be. And I imagine having you there with that perspective is is really good for them. Yeah, I think so. I think um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what word would be good. Like there's, I always felt like you're you're like the non the not seen person. You become yeah. a really good administrator. I always <laughs> thought there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of administration yeah. in being in being a spouse yeah. to a cancer patient. Um, so yeah, I think when we always encourage people to bring somebody with them. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was something because, you know, you, you're not taking the information in. So two, two sets of ears are better than one. Well, well, Kirsty, you're doing a, an incredible job. And I know, I, I have no doubt John would be massively proud of what you're doing uh, because it is, <laughs> it, it is fantastic. You know, you're impacting on so many lives. And like, like we said earlier, it's a real positive out of, out of, out of something so awful. So, Thank you for doing what you're doing and thank you for coming on and chatting again. Oh, thank you. Always nice to chat. Thank you to Lisa and to Kirsty and of course to you for listening to this episode of the GM Cancer Podcast. This is just one of two that we've done for World Cancer Day. So if you haven't checked out the other one yet, please go and do that. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch and let us know about any topics you think we should be covering or you've got any more thoughts on the podcast, do get in touch with GM Cancer on social media. You can find them on Twitter, on Facebook, and recent news, brand new news, on Instagram as well. That's at Greater Manchester Cancer on Instagram. Thank you.